This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. The 3-1. Swing and a drive. Left field and deep turning around Dominic Smith. And there is a career high. 17th homer for C.J. Crone. It's a three-run first-inning shot, and the Rays take a 3-0 lead. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. Right-hander pitches. Here's a towering drive. Way up into the air to right field. All the way back to the wall goes Judge. Gone! A three-run homer for Jake Bowers, and the Rays have jumped in front 4-1. Here's your host, Neil Solons. And hi, everybody. Welcome to our latest show. Steve Carney from 620 WDAE, pinch hitting for Neil, who has been on Fox Sports Sun this week, being a big television star. Today, you'll learn about this season from the Rays' front office perspective. We'll talk with Senior Vice President Heim Bloom, while Director of Minor League Operations Mitch Lukovic will look at the minor league side. Plus, we'll hear from a couple of Rays rookies on the field and in the front office. Well, we continue on this week in Rays baseball, and it's time now to take a look back at the season, maybe look forward a little bit to 2019 with the senior vice president of the Rays, Ian Bloom. And Ian, uh, congratulations on what's been a very good year to this point. Obviously, uh, very challenging at this point, odds-wise, to make the postseason, but with the numbers the Rays have put up as a team, the number of wins, the run they've been on in September, has this even been a little bit surprising to you and Eric Neander? First of all, thank you, and it's good to be with you. I I, I would agree that you know any time that uh, you're staring at you know potentially not making the postseason, only playing 162 games, there, there's going to be some disappointment that goes along with that. But to see where the team has gotten, you know, especially after the start uh, that we got off to, and a lot of the adversity that we faced early and throughout the season, it says a lot about this group of guys. Uh, you know, I think what they have done over the last month or so, I don't think you can ever expect a group to do that over over that long of a stretch. It's very rare that you have those kinds of stretches. So as much as we believe in this group and as much as we expected to enjoy watching them come together and gel uh, and play together, I don't think we could have expected this. Beyond the run that you guys have been on, what would you say has been the biggest surprise in a positive way in terms of achievement or what this group has accomplished? You know, I would I would say that a big part of this has been just how much it's been kind of spread around. I mean, we have very few players, uh, you know, other than I, I would think Blake uh, Snell, I think we have very few players that you could point to and you could say that guy is carrying the load uh, for this run. And when you look at most teams that are having this kind of success, there's usually a few guys you can point to that are really carrying the load. And it just hasn't been the case with us very long. I think that's a testament to the depth of the group and also the attitude that they have, that it is, you know, it sounds cliche, but it really has been someone different every night. And a lot of guys are chipping in and, and finding different ways to maximize their talent to help us win games. And that's been a lot of fun to see. Since you brought up Blake, uh, tell me, has his growth surprised you guys even a little bit to make the jump he has, not in terms of overall, but the fact that he's done it within one year's time? 
Yeah, I think we've, we've always believed that this sort of uh, performance was possible from him, that he had the type of ability to do this. Uh, when you look at where he was uh, really just over a year ago, and uh, you know, to expect him to be where he is now, you know, I, I think that that just speaks to how, how much everything came together and how quickly it came together, and really the power of the mindset that he took uh, you know, from the, the way he finished last season to taking that into the offseason and coming into this year, uh, you could see from, from the day he set foot in spring training that there was a different look in his eyes. You could physically, the way that he had worked on his body in the offseason, you could see the way the ball was coming out of his hand. You put all those things together, and uh, you had reason to expect a special year. And he's taken that and, and really taken it to another level where now it's at the point where you're, where you're sort of disappointed, you're sort of surprised when he doesn't put up an excellent outing. And that, that just tells you everything about, you know, what the talent level is there and what our expectations are. And, and he's raised the bar that high, which is credit to him. Assuming he has two really good starts um, remaining, would you be disappointed if he doesn't win the Cy Young at this point? You know, just to have, just to be in that conversation, you have to be a really fine pitcher having a really fine season. You know, I think we're so happy for the, the season that he's had. Uh, you know, would love to see him, you know, get recognized uh, publicly in the way that I know our whole clubhouse thinks he uh, deserves. But whatever happens, you know, we don't need some outside validation. We don't need an award. And I don't think anybody does to, you know, firm up our opinion of Blake Snell. We know, uh, you know, who he is and what he's accomplished. And, and I think our opinion uh, of that is going to be good no matter what happens to him on the awards front. And I would think the same applies to Kevin Cash uh, in terms of the manager type of season he's had as a manager. How has he grown this year, and how has the entire coaching staff grown too? Because a lot of guys were either in different roles than they were a year ago or have been added to the staff from uh, the minor league level. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, just like Blake, Kevin's very deserving of, of being recognized. Um, but, but we already recognize him you know, as, as that sort of a, a manager that you apply. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned the staff, too, because I think Kevin will be the first to tell you that it's not just him. It's the way that the staff has worked together to do some of the things that we've done this year in the way that we've done them. You need to have tremendous communication skills. You need to get buy-in from players, and you need to get everybody on the same page. And they've done that. And it really extends to every single member of that coaching staff and our support staff surrounding them, medical and strength and everybody else that pitches in to help this club. Uh, this is as good as we've seen the group work together, I think, since I've been here. And it's just a credit to each and every one of them. And I think it goes back to that communication, tr- trusting each other, and then putting the players in a position through the communication to trust, uh, to trust our staff and trust the plan and what we're trying to accomplish. You brought up that trust and, and that buy-in. Nationally, obviously, most people have talked about the opener. Has the way that that has worked been better than maybe you guys would have thought, especially when you considered how many injuries have occurred to the pitching staff during the course of the year? Yeah, there's no question. You know, I think it was from the beginning, and, and we talked about it in spring training, we were planning to try to do some things a little bit differently to put our pitchers in the best position to succeed, and it sort of evolved into this. Anytime you try something new, you try something different. Uh, it's certainly not random. It's certainly not just done on a whim. There's a lot of thought that the staff puts into this, a lot of planning. And ultimately, the reason that you try it is because you think it's going to help you win games and put your players in a position to succeed and to thrive. But that said, you don't know what it's going to look like. The, the, what makes it so easy to fall back on things that have always been a certain way is that we know where the pressure points are. Those have been stress-tested. We know the good things about them. We know where they sometimes break down. You don't know that when you
doing something new. And so you have to trust, again, in your preparation and trust that when those, when, when those lessons come, that you'll learn from them, you'll grow through them, and that they won't be uh, so dramatic as to, you know, make the, make the plan a failure. Um, and, you know, I think to see how well it's, it's gone and, and really almost uh, from day one, you could say, from that very high-profile outing that, that Sergio had uh, against the Angels, it, you know, it's gone really well. We've seen a number of pitchers step into that role and thrive, whether a veteran guy like Sergio, whether some of our young pitchers, uh, Ryan Stanek, Hunter Wood, Diego Castillo, really find their footing in there and, and help us win and to see uh, how that snowballed and how that's uh, you know, developed by and across the whole staff, I think it really exceeds all expectations that we had. You touched on the buy-in. How much of that has to do with the fact that a lot of these guys came from your system, you've had a, a club record, 23 rookies, and that they all have won together, so that they kind of buy into whatever it takes to win. How much has that play, has played into this? I think one of the things this season has shown, and the way that it's progressed, especially in the second half, is that we can't sell short the importance of that. And not just learning to develop your individual skills at the minor league level, but also learning to compete and to win. Now, we say often we're never going to put winning ahead of developing an individual player in the minor leagues. Obviously, when you get to the major leagues, then it's all about winning. In the minor leagues, we do have to develop those individual skills. But winning is one of the best ways to do that from the environment that it creates and then also teaching these lessons uh, for these players as they go along about what it means to dig deep, even when you might not be at 100%, because you're serving something larger than just whatever your own personal goal is that day. And that's something that is very hard to teach except through experience. We try to simulate everything we can with these guys on their way through the system so that they're prepared when they get to the big league level. This is one thing that it's very hard for us to simulate except through those critical moments, those playoff runs, and really learning to compete, you know, even at the end of the season, even when the tank isn't full, and find a way to get it done. And you can see the fruits of that just coming through on a nightly basis now in the big leagues. And we're going to talk to Ms. Lukovic later on the program, but I'm curious from your perspective as we start to look forward, how hard then are the decisions you have to make? Because you have to choose, okay, this team was very, very good, became very, very competitive in a short period of time. Do you let this core mature and not add anything to it? Or do you feel there are needs that you have to add and find ways to better yourself because Boston is still going to finish, finish double digits ahead and your goal, and maybe even 20 games ahead, and your goal is still to win the division to try and win the World Series? It's a good question. I think so much of what we were hoping to accomplish this season was to get to a point where we would be wrestling with these tough questions. Uh, because it means when, when you have a quandary like that, it means you feel really strongly about the talent you have on hand. And not just one or two guys, but a whole slew of guys that right now the September roster expansion is allowing us to have a lot of them here at the same time. During you know the first five months of the season, we don't have that option, and you have to pick 25. Now, of course, you know injuries and, and, and movement, and there's ways that that depth can come into play, uh, but it certainly uh, does present some difficult choices. I would say looking ahead to the offseason, you know, we are going to take very seriously any opportunity that we have, you know, to add to this core and to build it and to, uh, you know, propel us to even greater heights. Our, our goal is to compete with those teams, Boston and New York, at the top of our division. In order to do that, we're going to need every every win we can and every advantage we can get. And if some of that comes from an outside addition, that's something we can't walk past. But we also need to stay true to the fact that part of the reason why we are where we are is because we've given opportunity to young players, unproven players, whether they're from our own organization, whether they're players from the outside that we've gone out and gotten. We've given them opportunity, and they have over 
achieved in some cases or even just achieved what they were capable of but had never had a chance to show it. And if we walk too far away from that, then I think we're, we're kind of betraying our DNA and we're letting ourselves down. So we're going to look for that balance and uh, just see what opportunities there are. Is there any area where you would like to improve more than any other or where you think there is room, more room for growth? I, I don't know that there's necessarily one area that stands out you know, in, a, in a glaring fashion. You know, we feel pretty good about our depth across the board. Really, uh, when you look around the diamond, you know, needless to say, I think so much of the success that we've had this season has come more on the run prevention side than on the run creation side. So our pitching and defense, obviously, if there's a way to bolster that offense and take some of the pressure off the young guys, I think that's something that it would benefit us to look into. But at the same time, so many of the guys that are here now are just getting their feet wet as major league hitters, and we've been really encouraged uh, by what we've seen from them. So we can expect further development on that front just from the guys that we have. Is, is there any personal for the group satisfaction about what has gone on? Because so much was made, too, of whether you guys were tanking or not trying to win, and here you are with one of the top ten records in all of Major League Baseball at the end of the season. You know, I, I don't think any of us involved in this and I would say there's so many people in this organization that have made this go. We've got literally hundreds of people behind the scenes uh, that have helped, you know, build this. Uh, you know, I don't think anybody's doing this uh, necessarily to get pats on the back uh, from others. I think we value, uh, you know, how our teammates think of us, and I think we do it for the satisfaction of competing and winning and, uh, and building something pretty special. We know that there are going to be things that we that we do that uh, may look puzzling to the outside world and also to our own fans. I think we take very seriously the responsibility that we have to try to explain ourselves to our fans as we did early in the season. But at the end of the day, you know, the benefit of the doubt is only coming to us if we go out and win. We know that. And so it's really nice to see that come together. But I don't think it's about as much, you know, the praise from the outside as much as it is just seeing the fruits of your labor start to come together. We've got a long way to go. We are not satisfied with what we've accomplished this season, as, as great as it's been to, uh, to experience. Uh, hopefully this is just the beginning of what we're trying to accomplish. And does it further build that trust, though, with the fan base? We hope it does. And we hope that, uh, you know, this, this shows that, you know, the goal that we've had of building this core and then trying to, uh, you know, to time it up so that we have a number of young players coming together, uh, that, uh, that there's a, a future to that, that that's starting to work, and that they're going to want to uh, – jump on board or if they've been on board to hang on board with us through the rest of this ride uh it's not you know we there there is no journey to the top that doesn't have some setbacks here and there doesn't have difficult points uh we're fortunate that as the season has rolled on we've had a lot more ups than downs um and we appreciate everybody who's hung with us to this point and hope it's uh, been as entertaining and as rewarding for them as it has been for us well it certainly has been entertaining we appreciate some time and wish you best of success in taking the next step toward getting this team back to where it wants to be. Hyam, thanks for some time on this week in race baseball. Thanks, Neil. Appreciate it. And again, appreciate everyone's support. That is Hyam Bloom, and we continue in just a moment. You're listening to the Rays Baseball Network. We welcome you back to this week in Rays Baseball. Steve Carney from 620 WDAE, pinch hitting for Neil Solons, and this is the final weekend of the Rays road portion of the 2018 schedule. And for that, we go to Rogers Center and say hello to Mark Topkin, who is covering the Rays, as always, for the Tampa Bay Times. Now, Mark, uh, 
Neil just uh, finished up uh, his conversation with Senior Vice President Heim Bloom, where he asked him straight up, you know, how surprised are you at the way that this uh, team has finished up the season? So I want to get your thoughts on uh, the surprise level that you may have for what the Rays have done, basically playing 700 balls since August 1st. Yeah, that's not too bad, right, Steve? 700 balls <laughs> yeah. for a month and a half. 700, it's so. all right. Yeah, you know, you might, you might have a shot. Look, I mean, I, I, you know, I think I've tried to be very out front in wearing, uh, wearing it for what I wrote earlier this year and, and after the first couple weeks of the season, the way they played, what the record was, with the injuries that they had, uh, with what they were talking about doing with the pitching staff, and I said this might be the worst team in Rays baseball history. So I certainly would have to color myself surprised at how this has turned around. And, you know, I think it's a combination of things. I think a lot of credit has to be given to the front office for sticking to their vision and, and you know, saying that they had a plan. And even though everyone was ripping their plan, it was going to work. I think a lot of credit has to go to Kevin Cash for the job he did steering the players, uh, the remaining players, through, you know, the initial reaction to some of those moves. I mean, those first couple of days in spring training when they traded those guys, there were a lot of ticked-off players in that clubhouse. And give him credit. And then, obviously, give credit to the players and specifically these young guys who came up. That's, you know, that's where this has come from. And, yeah, I know Willie Adamas was cool, and then Jake Bowers was hot, and then that's flipped around, and some guys have done more than others, and Jose Alvarado has emerged. I mean, different things have happened, but the way this team has played with this mostly young core for the last month or so, month and a half, is really the reason for that. So I, I think ultimately a long answer to say yes, very, very surprised. Yeah, and I, I, you talked about uh, the moves made in spring training. I don't know who was angrier, Kevin Kiermeyer in the Rays clubhouse or you and I the night before when we ended up having to, to ditch dinner to have to go and write about uh, the moves that were being made uh, to, to move, uh, say, Steven Souza Jr. Uh, to, to the Arizona Diamondbacks. But with this 2018 finish, Mark, how is this set up in your mind, the expectations that the Rays fans and the Rays players and the Rays front office have for 2019 well in, in like a weird way the way baseball works it, it could actually create really high expectations maybe too high expectations for next season and you know just getting the sense i i mean we were talking about this up, up here and i you know how many other seasons have you could you remember outside of obviously 08 but you know where people were like they don't want it to end like they want to see these guys keep playing if they had another week or two they might run down the a's and that kind of thing and i think that's the feeling you have uh, a lot of fans have that, you know, they want to see how this team does going forward. They are going to have high expectations. They feel like they have a chance to be competitive based on how this month and a half have gone. They're going to have some money to spend. I mean, you know, whether they spend it, how much would they spend, but maybe they go at a bat. Maybe they go at a, another starting pitcher, even though they've got some guys coming back from injuries later in the year. They go get a, a, a real, you know, big guy closer. I mean, there's different ways they could go. Maybe, you know, the DH kind of guy and, you know, maybe there's somebody out there that they can pick up for a one-year deal or two-year deal. So there's different ways they can go to spend that money, but I think they feel pretty good about the course. Stu Sternberg said, you know, in New York a month or so ago that, you know, he thought this was the first time probably since 08, 09 that you could look at this year's team and say that's pretty much what next year's team is going to look like. Yeah, and, and I remember your conversation with Stu, and uh, you asked him specifically uh, about the opener, and he said that he felt that the opener was going to continue in 2019. But for, for you, how do you think, now that everybody in the league has seen what the Rays have done with the opener, how do they change it to try and uh, keep guys off of uh, basically back on their heels? Yeah, you know, I don't know if the Rays are going to do it much differently. I think they've learned a few things as the year has gone on. I think, you know, one thing Kevin Cash has, has said a couple times is that, you know, in a maybe in the ideal world, the way he's seen it go, they would have three traditional starters and two opener days. I think when you have three opener days, and the way they have it set up right now, back to back to back, 
I think that's created some issues where they do kind of run out of bullpen guys. Obviously, it's different in September, but you know, in a pre-September situation of having three back-to-back opener days really does tax the bullpens. I think they've tried to spread those out a little bit. They've learned, and I think they've seen different guys handle it differently. I mean, you know, Diego Castillo, Ryan Stanek have taken and doing that job really well. We saw a veteran guy like Johnny Venters, you know, have his chance at it that one day, and that was just a bad mm-hmm. day for him. Um, and we've seen other guys handle that role coming in. And so I think it's been a lot of adjustments. Now, second time through, are these guys going to be better at it because they've done it all before? Or does a guy like Brian Yarborough or Yanni Trinas or someone be like, I don't know, I kind of want to graduate to starter now. I did that last year. So I think there's a lot of questions, but I do think the race have had the benefit, Steve, of doing this since May 19th, where the other teams that are just experimenting with it now are still kind of looking at it like, oh, how does this work, or what would we want to do? Kind of like the, the Rays are doing the four-man outfield. You'll probably see that today against Justin Smoke. They saw the Astros do that and the Twins do it earlier this year, and they were kind of thinking, hmm, let's try it. So they're using it here the final week, and you're seeing some teams do that with the opener strategy now. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and finally, Mark, uh, C.J. Nikowski of Fox Sports tweeted out last night, uh, basically the uh, the baseball reference war and the Fangraphs war numbers for rookies in the American League. And Joey Wendell is leaps and bounds ahead of guys like Shoei Otani and, and Miguel Andujar and, and basically pointed out how many uh, guys are going to vote for Joey Wendell for Rookie of the Year. So is Joey Wendell's performance maybe perhaps one of the most unheralded nationwide by a, by a rookie uh, in, that you've seen? Yeah, I mean, I, unheralded or just maybe not getting as much credit for it. And, and, you know, it's tough when you're competing against a couple of players who have the stage of playing for the New York Yankees. And obviously Otani has gotten a ton of attention going into the season. I, and I, I'm not sure I don't have the numbers you're talking about in front of me, but I think if you add Otani's pitcher war and his offensive player war together, it actually uh, you know is going to make a pretty good case for him if you go by that number, if that's your standard there. And it's tough to evaluate him and the fact that he was hurt, missed a lot of time in the middle of the year. So it is very interesting. I do think that Joey Wendell is, is the outsider looking in. I mean, usually... You know, they, well, they will announce three finalists, and if he makes that final field, that might be a, a pretty good credit for him. But I, I just don't think he's going to get the award, even though watching him play, and our view is slanted in that regard, you see how valuable he is to the Rays and how impressive for a guy who'd only played, what, 36 games in the big leagues before this year, I think. Yeah, you can follow him on Twitter at TBTimes underscore Rays and, of course, read him uh, on TampaBay.com and in the Tampa Bay Times. Mark Topkin joining us from Toronto. Topper, enjoy the rest of this road trip. We'll see you when we get back for the final homestand of 2018. All right, you and Angela have fun out there at the beach today. Uh, we will, my friend. <laughs> we will. You know it. That is Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. Before we continue, let's pause 10 seconds for station identification along the Rays Baseball Network. This is 620 WDAE St. Petersburg. It is gone! WPTP HD3 Clearwater and 95.3 FM. Home of the Rays. Well, time to take a look at things on the minor league side on this week in Rays Baseball, and it's been not a good year. It's been a tremendous year in the Rays system, and joining me right now is Mitch Lukovich, to discuss it. Mitch, thanks for a few minutes. Thanks, Neil. Thanks for having me. Tell me this. The best record in all of minor league affiliates, um, three championships for the first time. For you, was this the best? You've been here since the beginning. Was this the best year period for the race system, and if so, why? Well, by far it was the best year in the 23 years that I have been here with Tampa Bay. I mean, every club was in the hunt um, our worst club was the Dominican Summer League 2 team, which finished three games out of first place, but 17 games 
uh, above 500. Every level was competitive. Um, like you said, we won three league championships. Um, we are in six playoffs. Um, two teams lost in the finals. Our Charlotte team uh, tied for first place in the second half, only to lose on a tiebreaker. And our Gulf Coast League, um, the Rays, um, we're a half a game out, a half a game out because of rain that uh, they couldn't play a game. And <laughs> so it by far was our best years, not not only with wins and losses, but, you know, when you talk about our Durham Ball Club, who won the Governor's Cup for the second year in a row, but 17 of our players, Durham players, are currently on our major league roster and making a contribution. And that tells you a lot right there, Neil. It certainly does. I'm kind of curious your take. Is the talent pool as deep as it's been throughout the organization? Obviously, the results are there. Well, there's no question the talent pool. Every area, whether it's um, international scouting, amateur scouting, professional scouting, all these guys have really stepped up and, uh, and, and really, you know, got the right raw resource to bring into our you know, bring into our organization, whether it's via trade, whether it's the amateur draft or, you know, the international. Look at Diego Castillo making an impact, big impact on our ball club. Guys that we've traded for, Glass now, now for the archer trade, making a big impact. And guys that we, you know, of course, Adamas traded for, um, Jake Bowers, Andrew Velasquez, but guys that we raised too, like Stanek and Schultz and Hunter Woods. So through the amateur draft. So um, everybody's really stepped up, and I think you can see it, you know, the fruits of everybody's labor with our major league club right now. And from a, a talent standpoint, you touched on some of the growth. What maybe are some of the biggest surprises this year? Would you say Nate Lowe? Would it be Brock Burke on the pitching side? You've had so many success stories this year. Well, yeah. And, and that's all, all wonderful. And you touched on Nate Lowe, you know, a 13th-round pick. Uh, you know, showed us some bat, needs some work around first base. He, he ended up with 27 home runs and uh, 100 RBIs. And then Brock Burke, who was a young high school, you know, kid trying to find his way at a banner second half and 95-91 and throwing the ball over the plate with, with consistency. And then you get a Wonder Franco, you know, Wonder who, okay, you know, was a high-money pick for Latin America, but he's 17, and he was MVP of the league. You can sign for a lot of money, and there's no guarantees, but what happened was, you know, he performed, and that was really exciting for all of us as well. When you look at at, uh, your growth, you're still trying to develop guys down in instructional league right now. What are maybe some some types of guys that either you're changing from position players to pitchers or vice versa, and what types of things overall are you trying to get done down there these next few weeks? Well, well, we don't have the, the type of group that we're doing a lot of conversions. Vince Bird's here, Eliando, uh, Eliardo Cabrera's here. We're going to work them out on the mound. They have really wonderful, wonderful arms and see how possibly that can convert, but what goes on in instruction league is really individual instruction. This is the time where, you know, the teacher-student ratio, I wouldn't say it's one-to-one, but it's really good. We give these guys individual attention. We listen to our players and get feedback from them. And uh, 
that helps us develop in these game plans. But having them here now for basically 30 days, we have four games outside competition. We're going to have a five-game World Series inter-squad games in the stadium here. Uh, we challenge them. We have fun with them. But it's all about individual instruction here. That, that is a priority for us, Neil. Give us an example of maybe a, a high-profile guy or a, or a young prospect and, and what you focus on with them in a, in a stretch like this. Let me tell you, all these young kids need every aspect of the game. No, no one's polished. They're all, all flawed. You know, Taylor Walls comes in here after winning the championship um, in, in Bowling Green, and he can just work on backhands. He could just work on flips for double play balls. You know, the younger kids, we might do a little more generic, all fundamental type, and then bear down on some individual things that they might that might stand out to us that they need to work. Uh, someone uh, might need to hold on runners better, and that's all they're going to do. They might need to work on a slider a little bit better. And, and our guys take care of individual needs and try to get them on an individual plan. So next year when they come in, they're all ready to go. We accomplished something with them that we thought maybe needed some help. I shouldn't use the word. They might be just so mediocre with it. And when they come in, they're a lot better with a certain pitch, holding on runners, stealing bases, and so forth. That can help accelerate the curve, but so can playing some winter ball. You've got some guys going to the fall league. You've got some guys going to Australia. Let's touch first uh, on the fall league. I know that uh, Joe McCarthy, if I remember right, is going. Lucius Fox is going. I'm guessing for each different reasons, and that's usually the case for all your fall league kids? Always, always. Individual reasons. You know, both Joe and Ryan Bolt, Joe McCartney and Ryan Bolt, missed uh, a lot of time due to injuries. So it's a way to make up that bat in good competition, fast fields. Uh, it's all out there in the Phoenix area. It's really good competition for these guys, but it's a way to make up for lost at bats. And, and Lucius Fox, it's another step up um, from from Double A competition where the game's fast, and get him against really good competition and see how he fares. Hopefully, he matures from that. All these programs, whether it's the Instructional League, you touch base on the Arizona Fall League. Um, we have players, as you know, going to Australia. It's to help them in whatever way so they come into spring training better. They're ahead of the game plan, and, and that's what we look forward for these guys playing in all these different programs. And, you know, it's funny you say, well, the season's over. We just lost uh, in the AAA championship game. Well, okay, while that was ending and Bowling Green was ending, we start five fall programs. You mentioned Instructional League here, Arizona Fall League, Australia. We have a program in the Dominican Republic, a fall program, and we have a program in Venezuela, a fall program. So we stay busy year-round trying to get these players better and hopefully one day make an impact with our major league team. The Australian team is, or the Australian program is one where you've had a lot of position players develop, um, and I would assume you're sending position players again there this year. And how has that program been successful for some of your kids and why? Well, you know, send Kevin Kiermeyer there and, you know, Kevin struggled in certain areas in the minor leagues. You hope this program would help him uh, in to develop a, into a major league player. Joey Rickard, who is now with Baltimore, and we lost him in the Rule 5 draft. 
went there and you're hoping these experiences, you know, shore up some deficiencies. And this year we have Tristan Gray, who we got in the Pittsburgh Pirates trade, and uh, he'll play some shortstop there, move around the infield, and Carl Chester will play in the outfield for us. Um, he has good speed, can play center field, but can learn some corner outfield as well. And Chris Betts, um, he had a fine year for us, but Chris, who, you know, is in his fifth year with us, was often hampered by injuries, and we're trying to make up at-bats for him, and we might look towards sending a few Latin American pitchers there where we know they can pitch, you know, night games under the lights, fans in the stadium, and know when they come to spring training, we can slow their progress down, and more likely these type of kids would be ready to go to Hudson Valley, which starts in June. You know, in extended program, there are no lights. There's no fans. It's complex baseball. Mm -hmm. We might want to try a little bit of some of these Latin kids to, to go to Australia to play in front of a, a few fans. And we all know how it's a little bit different playing under the lights with a few fans in the stadium. No doubt. And it's an interesting concept in terms of what you guys are doing on that end. Um, you know, as you look forward, um, you know, to 2019, uh, is there any area where – or what is the area that you guys think the organization is now strongest in, or where is the greatest strength yeah. right now in this group? You know, they're, they're for a while. You know, we, we, um, we're all pitching, and, and as you can see now, we're mentioning uh, names like Willie Adamas, Jake Bowers, Andrew Velasquez uh, to help us in the big leagues. We're, we're stronger now with Joe McCarthy, Ryan Bolt, uh, Ryan Fraley had a nice year in the Florida State League. Lucius Fox. I'm naming positional players where, as you know, Neil, being here for a while now, um, we, would, we would name a lot of pitchers and not as many positional players. And we've gotten a lot stronger with our positional players. You know, sadly, you know, we have a few of our better pitchers on the disabled list right now. We look forward to them coming back, getting healthy, making, a, you know, making a, an impact and making us even stronger once these kids get healthy. So, um, you know, I'm always positive. The future is bright. We're getting better. And, you know, we're competing on the major league level with a lot of our youngsters. And, uh, you know, that's uh, very gratifying to all of us in, in the scouting and player development end of our, our business here. Well, keep up the good work. We appreciate some time. We'll see you at the awards ceremony next week. And thanks for joining us on this week in Rays Baseball. Thank you, Neil. Thanks a lot. That is Mitch Lukovic, Rays Director of Minor League Operations. We'll hear from some Rays rookies after this on This Week in Rays Baseball on the Rays Baseball Network. Welcome back to This Week in Rays Baseball. Steve Carney is 620 WDAE and for Neil Solons, who's off being a big television superstar again this week. Now, much has been made about all the rookies playing for the Rays this season, but the guys on the field aren't the only rookies the front office has some rookies of their own including mark watson mark is part of mlb's inaugural diversity fellowship program and neil sat down with him then asked him about how he became a part of this program and his interest in baseball okay well i started playing baseball at the age of four and uh played all the way through college played division one baseball out at jackson state university and uh i always thought of myself as uh, a sports-minded individual, but I really started to understand the game to a deeper level once I, you know, went to college, started playing at a higher level. Uh, but baseball and the business of baseball really started to become um, an interest of mine. Actually, going through the draft process, uh, one of my natural cross-checkers with the Padres uh, by the name of Chip Lawrence, 
actually introduced me to Tyrone Brooks, who's over the Baseball Industry Network. He knows literally everybody. And, uh, you know, Tyrone took about two hours and talked to me over the phone uh, in my junior year of college and just basically explained to me what baseball operations is, um, how you can impact the game even after you play. And uh, that's really how I started to grow my interest in the game past, you know, playing days. So, Tell me when you learned about the fellowship program and what it meant to be part of this year's group. Well, I learned about the fellowship program actually through Tyrone. Uh, he sent it out to me about two weeks before it actually was unveiled and uh, allowed me to prepare and get ready for the program. But it's, it's a tremendous honor because I believe it's 13,000 applicants and it's only 22 in the inaugural class, which is an outstanding honor. And I thank God for the opportunity and the Tampa Bay organization as a whole because without without them, I wouldn't be here at all. So Now, was there a a determining factor in where each of you went, or how did how did that whole process go? Well, it began as uh, an initial quote-unquote project in the application process, and then after that, they who had I, think, I believe it was like two or three um, like Skype kind of interviews. I think it's higher view is a technical name, but uh, we went through that process, and then if they select you to go on, um, basically how it went was your name is involved in uh like a list of qualified applicants and they sent out to all the teams so your name could be sent to the teams but if the team doesn't find you interesting then you won't interview with them so i believe i had two or three interviews and uh tampa bay was the one that had the strongest interest in me as you can see but um it was an extensive process to say the least but uh it was well worth it well worth it tell me what um what you've learned in the program so far and what types of things you've been doing in baseball operations. Well, I'm actually very happy that I went to the Tampa Bay organization. When I went through the process, I was I always told myself I wanted to go to a lower market team uh, to see how to win, like the true way to win without having to, you know, just buy players and things of that nature. So I'm glad I'm here in Tampa Bay where we're essentially first movers in a lot of things. And uh, basically I learned the, the ins and outs that, a surface fan really wouldn't know goes on into the day-to-day maintenance of a baseball team. And uh, I'm really happy that I have, you know, Graham Tyler as sort of my mentor through the process, you know, extremely uh, intelligent individual who thinks uh, conceptually and is able to analyze data to this most ground grassroots level. So uh, happy to be involved and have him as, you know, my mentor as well going through the process. So, does this make you more excited about your future in baseball and what kind of route, you know, obviously you're learning, um, you know, in this, in this fellowship program, do you have an idea which way you eventually want to go? Uh, as of now, no. Um, I sat down with Graham and we try to determine a uh, timeline for my fellowship program, but I have some time. That's, that's a good thing. Time is on my side. So in terms of specific avenues, um, uh, I'm very interested in the scouting side. I just anything with analyzing players as a whole is uh, my deepest interest. But um, you know, data ana- analytics and basically analyzing the game to levels I never thought I could has been a tremendous help over these last two months. Um, and basically, since I have essentially a year and some change, uh, I'm glad to have time on my side and. You know, my interest is even further grown because of 
basically the processes that I've had right now. And before you went to college, where'd you grow up and what was your level of interest in Major League Baseball to begin with? Who were the guys you rooted for at that time? Uh, I'm actually from Orlando, Florida. Uh, grew up in Atlanta for eight years and then moved to Jacksonville and then came back to Orlando. Uh, then I shipped myself out to Mississippi to play Division One baseball. But young, when I was younger, my idol in the playing days was Derek Lee. And I loved him. Uh, he used to play for the Cubs, as a lot of people know. And he, I, I really profiled myself with him because he was a taller, you know, African American infielder, and I played, you know, infield. And usually African Americans were in the outfield, so he was an even keel guy who presented himself in the correct manner and impacted his baseball team at the highest level. So that was kind of my my idol, so so to say, in the game. So. And now, obviously, you're kind of helping blazing a trail with your other fellows. Is there a lot of is there communication between the group of the 22 of you, or or do you know much about one another as you guys go through this process? Yes, we actually went to New York. I believe it was like a month ago, and uh, Major League Baseball hosted us at the commissioner's office. You know, Rob Manfred talked to us as well, and uh, over the course of those three days, we developed a great relationship. We still talk to one another. Uh, it's really a group and family atmosphere, and because essentially, you know, a lot is riding on this program. Renee Torado and Tyrone Brooks and the commissioner have stuck their necks out on the line for us all, and it's really up to us to make this program a success. So we use each other as a support system and you know, an extensive backbone so that we can steer in the right way and all accomplish our dreams and help our organizations win. Just so I know, how long is your fellowship? Is it, You started in June. Uh, it's 18 to 24 months. So I finished in December 2019. But for Danielle, who comes in September, she will most likely stay till about February. That is Mark Watson, part of MLB's inaugural diversity fellowship program. Mark is one of two Rays who are part of the program. He mentioned the other one, Danielle Docks of Princeton. She begins next week. Rays principal owner Stuart Sternberg is chairman of MLB's Diversity Oversight Committee. Good luck to all 22 involved in this year's first fellowship program across Major League Baseball. Now let's turn to back to what's going on on the field. The Rays with 23 rookies, that is a club record, participate this season. And many of them have been impressive in September when normally you'd think they'd be fatigued. Hunter Wood, who has spent the second half of the year with the Rays, is appreciative for the chance. It means a lot. I mean, I'm very grateful for the opportunity. Um, just trying to figure out how to throw these hitters up here and um, just the difference between AAA and the major leagues is one through nine is not an easy out. All of them can hit. They're up here for a reason. Um, just getting the opportunity to come up here and do what I've done and I still, I know I haven't had much success, but I've had some success, and I know what it takes to uh, to have success up here. So, just looking forward to uh, finishing the season strong and uh, uh, coming back next year even stronger. Can September be kind of a springboard for you for next year? And have you kind of learned and grown in confidence as the year has gone on? Yeah, I feel like if you have a good September, um, that going forward and going into next season that uh, there's a good chance you will make the team if you have a good September and uh, just just uh, having a good month is going to help you 
for the next season. Do you think it also helps to be pitching in games that have some meaning, uh, whether it's Cleveland or Oakland or New York? You guys have, you know, because of a good run, gotten yourselves in a much better position than maybe you were uh, several weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Just the experience, the, I mean, them two teams are uh, playoff contenders. I mean, we're a playoff contender, and just getting this experience this young and being in the first year, I mean, it, it's going to help a lot going forward in the, in the upcoming years. What's the biggest things that you've learned this year uh, on the mound, and, and how do you think it'll help you next year? Um, uh, Snides has helped me a lot. Uh, just to don't, don't look ahead, don't look behind you. Just uh, take one pitch at a time and uh, really focus on executing that pitch and uh, just not thinking too far ahead. That is reliever Hunter Wood, and since giving up runs on September 2nd against Cleveland, he has thrown seven scoreless innings. Now, Hunter is spending his first September with the Rays, while Andrew Kittredge is in his second September with the club. Kittredge had a tough 2018 season, but he believes that a good September can carry over to 2019. Yeah, I mean, anytime you get an opportunity to uh, show what you're capable of, um, you know, it's it's big. I mean, especially, hopefully, you know, showing that I can compete at this level and, and, and fighting for a spot. Um, that's huge for me. Um, so... I'm excited to be here for September. Like you said, it was kind of been an up and down year for me and hopefully just get a chance to get back on track and, and get things going in a positive direction. What have you learned during the course of the year? And it seems like you're, you're back to form. What have you done differently? Um, you know, kind of touching on that a little bit, just dealing with some of the adversity of not throwing well and um, really just kind of trying to figure out, you know, when things aren't going for me, what, are the quickest ways to get back on track um you know the up and down has been very frustrating for me this year um just because you know the you know moderate success i had in a short time here last year i was trying to build off that but then you know kind of back and forth um it is that i think has been huge for me though is kind of dealing with some failure and dealing with some um not having success if you will uh to kind of realize what it takes to get me back on track so who's been most helpful in kind of getting it going in the right direction again um you know spending some time down in durham um with rick knapp um you know just kind of getting a different set of eyes on me kind of helped a little bit getting a little different perspective i mean i still have a ton of ton of respect for kyle snyder and what uh i learned from him last year and even this year too um you know just kind of getting a different perspective he helped me a lot with just some uh you know tweaks that I've you know I've heard before but uh you know just kind of good reminders um that's been big and then like I said a lot was just learning from myself what I you know know that it takes for me to be successful and and obviously learning from what hasn't worked for me this year so um, those have probably been you know two of the major things so far what little tweaks have you made over the course of the year that you think have have helped really just kind of getting back to simplifying my mechanics I mean I I did kind of feel out of whack for a lot of the middle part of this year with the rhythm of my delivery and consistently repeating the best part of my delivery you know what makes me click the way I want to rather than kind of fighting a lot of mechanics and stuff so really just trying to simplify it not really change too many things but more just simplify everything slow down a little bit um, and get back to worrying about executing a good pitch rather than 
executing my mechanics. And to get to pitch in a one-run game against a Cleveland team in the middle of a playoff race had to feel good and get you, give you confidence, too, that they believe. Absolutely. I mean, those are the kind of games you want to pitch in. You want to pitch in games when, you know, they're on the line a little bit, um, when you know that it's a significant situation. Um, that's huge. I mean, if, if not just for the adrenaline alone, that you know, that always bumps up a little bit when the game's a little closer. But, uh, you know, just to kind of remind myself that, yes, I can, you know, face a good lineup and be successful and I can pitch in big situations and be successful. It's uh, That was huge for me and, and hopefully build off that. Hopefully he can build off that. That is reliever Andrew Kittredge, who has had nine scoreless outings in September. Special thanks to Andrew and all of our guests for today's program. That includes Senior Vice President of Baseball Operations, Heim Bloom, Director of Farm Operations, Mitch Lukovic, Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times, who joined us from Toronto, front office rookie Mark Watson, and Kittredge's fellow relief buddy, Hunter Wood. Next week, you'll hear from the Rays' most valuable player, the Rookie of the Year, and the Minor League Award winners. Just a heads up that if you are coming to Friday's contest against the Blue Jays, they're going to make the announcement of the Minor League Award winners on Friday, and you can hopefully meet them and get some autographs uh, of those Minor League Award winners. But you'll hear from all of them next week here on This Week in Rays Baseball. Now, if you have ever have something that you want to hear on the show just make sure you tweet neil it's at neil solons and uh you can uh, give him all the requests that you want he'll get them on there for you just a reminder that we are live at the rumfish grill at Tradewinds islands resort sky harvey outpost for a race watch party that is coming up next as the race pregame show gets ready for game three of this four game series between tampa bay and the toronto blue jays thanks for joining us on this week in race baseball on the race baseball network